Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Good morning. How are we all? All as in just you, Sal. (laughs) (laughs) Hope everyone is doing okay and has had a good week so far. And guess what? What? I had my first ever boring week. What? Finally did it. I mean, oh it's going to be such a boring intro now because I've got no exciting dramas to Where share. Where is the drama? <laughs> I bet there was something that made it interesting. Come oh, on, tell me. I don't know. I feel like you'd know. Was there anything? I feel like there wasn't. I feel I like do I just actually, had a, I would Oh, know. shit. <laughs> oh, no, oh, there wasn't oh, anything. Okay. I thought you were like, yeah, there was something. Remember that thing? No. <laughs> I don't think there was anything actually. No. Yeah, you did have quite a normal sort of, you normal. know. Oh, I want to cry. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> it was kind of like I was due just a normal week. Like, just stop throwing things my way, universe, please. So. You, you definitely were because you were coming off the back of quite a few sort of hectic weeks. Left, and then obviously right you were really center. ill. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Anyway, yeah. that's our intro. Hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs> no yeah it was good I really needed just a a normal week and I didn't have any huge grief sessions (laughs) oh my god can I just say we've had so many people from the last episode like tagging us in posts saying I'm having a grief sesh we are here for it let's spread the grief sesh we are so glad that it resonated with you all how interesting though that it's something that people weren't really conscious to do yeah. Like we had some people saying it's like my first ever grief sesh where they put the music on and got the cards out and let themselves grieve. Like I think it's so great. That- yeah. Actively kind of brought it all out. Because I, yes. I think some people do, you know, a lot of us think that, well, I'll just grieve when the, you know, the, the grief bomb hits next time or when, you know, I have that next wave. You might not necessarily think, you know, that you can actively sort of draw it out. Bring it so, on yourself. I mean, on mad bastards to want to do that, but it does <laughs> actually work. Oh. It makes you feel so much better afterwards. So, yes, keep updating us on your grief sessions. Session, stop. It's not a word. <laughs> grief <laughs> sessions. Um, yeah, we love to hear about it. That sounds weird that we'd love to hear about your grief sessions, but I'm so pleased that it resonated with you guys. Me too. But, yeah, so my week was boring I feel like I'm coming in you know I'm obviously in the second year of my loss now and I think I was just in huge shock for a whole year which is mental absolutely understandable though what you went through was so traumatic and it is shocking like losing a loved one suddenly is a shock like I still like have days where I'm like wait a minute mum's dead like is that even real? Did that even happen? And yeah. for you, you know, your situation, it's on another level. Mm. It's no wonder. Yeah. So is this kind of what acceptance feels like maybe? Where you're just numb and you're okay and you. I think I've processed a lot of what's happened and then just having days where I'm okay. Like it's not so overpowering. Maybe. Maybe it is. Yeah. 
and then obviously I'll go back and have a bad day. But <laughs> there's there's windows now of where I think what might be that feeling of acceptance. I've been reading a lot of Dr. Edith Eager's work. Are you familiar with her? Yes. She's a holo- the Holocaust survivor. She's fantastic. She's written two books, one called The Gift and one called The Choice, and she's fantastic for anyone who's going through any trauma and her work her work just really resonates with me and I've taken so much away from it and one of the things she talks about is when you go through something very traumatic it's not about overcoming what has happened to you but you have to learn to come to terms with it and so I feel like I'm coming to terms with what's happened and it's taken over a year but it is I think, yeah, I think my my mind has adjusted to, okay, this has happened mm. and I'm still, I've survived and I'm still here and there's still so much of my life to live and things to look forward to and, and my daughter and the rest of my family. And I think I've just, yeah, kind of started to come to terms with what's happened, which feels feels like a big relief. It's like Hope Edelman talks about in her book, The After Grief. There's the new grief when it's incredibly raw and incredibly painful. And then you transition into what she calls the after grief, which is just the ongoing uh, like arc of loss. Yes. And cute. we actually have Hope as an upcoming guest, don't oh, we? Oh, big news. Yeah. So we're going to be releasing that in a few months. So watch this space. We've got some very exciting stuff coming up this year, but we're going to keep our lips sealed until yes. closer to the time. But yeah, very exciting things happening for Good Morning. How's your week been? My week has been good. Um, I am feeling so much better since I started implementing more rest time um, into my day. I haven't been overdoing it and I've been really, really conscious um, to relax and kind of make some time for me because if you listened to our last episode you would have heard that I was just absolutely overdoing it and had a bit of a meltdown over sweeping the apartment <laughs> um so much better look at us with all the good news this week so much good news God, so positive and also more good news for you so you what? guys might have heard a lot of you Aussie listeners have probably heard of David the Medium <gasps> he's like a massive deal here in Australia and I think even worldwide now um and every couple of months he releases like a you know a uh, uh, his next four months of, of readings. So you have to send him a message at 12pm on the dot um, and you might make the cut. So Imogen and I, on Saturday, 12pm, we were sitting at the computer. It was like, so oh stressful. I was like, Sal, I've drafted up the message so that when we've got our alarm set, <laughs> so when it hits 12 o'clock, we can just send, like, just send the message straight away. I was getting heart palpitations. I was so Me nervous. Too. And like, I called you in the morning. Just, I was like, what do I say? Like, I'm like, like what do we need to do? <laughs> like, um, Anyway, apparently so many people um, contacted him that his server, like cra- his Facebook page crashed. They but- locked it. Yeah, they locked him out because they thought he was getting hacked because so many people messaged him all at once. <laughs> but you got a slot. I did, but I feel super bad because we messaged at like the exact same second and you didn't get one. It wasn't meant to be this time. Well, that's what he says. If if the reading happens, it's, it's sent from the be. universe and it's meant to be. But then you got one with someone else. Yeah, so weirdly, I woke up this morning, so I was a bit bummed out, you know, I was like, oh, really wouldn't mind, you know, having a reading with David, he's supposed to be amazing, but it's not meant to be, but then this morning, I woke up um, from a message from a girl that I used to work with, who lives in Canada, who's super lovely, and she said, I saw that you commented on David the Medium's post, Um, you should check out this guy, um called Thomas Dale I had a reading with him he's absolutely amazing he's based in LA and um 
he's he's incredible so anyway so I reached out to him and I've got he's booked out until September but I have got a reading in September with him how exciting and he is he by all accounts is spot on like David the medium style you know everyone raves about how you know he just just says things like that you think how would you know that so exciting so yeah so watch this space <laughs> and then we've got the our other readings on Wednesday oh my god <laughs> yes with Karen Ryan <laughs> in a destiny to psychic mediums and connecting with the other side FYI Yes, uh, yeah. I've also booked just booked an astrology, a birth chart reading with <laughs> this, yeah, with this guy in Melbourne called Luke Balt. Um, I think that's how you pronounce his name. So yeah, so next episode we'll lots have of, an update. Yeah, lots of updates on the spiritual side of things. But you've got your with Karen um, on Wednesday. Yours is before mine, right? Yeah, like and, an hour before. You're going straight up after me. So we'll have, yeah, we'll have a little debrief after that. So excited. So, yes, nothing too dramatic this week in terms of our update, but um, lots happening on the psychic, medium and astrology front by the sounds of it. Watch this space. (laughs) So, Sal, tell us who we've got on the show today. You guys might have heard of her. Her name is Rebecca Sofa, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Modern Loss and the co-author of the incredible book, Modern Loss, Candid Conversations About Grief, Beginner's Welcome. If you guys are you know, part of the grief community online, on Instagram, then you may have already heard of Modern Loss, but basically it's a digital and in real life forum for loss and mourning within a contemporary context. And what we love about modern loss is that it grew out of two friends' separate experiences with sudden loss and their struggle to find resources that spoke to them. Which is exactly how Good Morning was born as well. Yes. So incredible things can happen when you find your person through unthinkable tragedy, which we absolutely love. And Rebecca shares her story about the sudden death of both of her parents within only four years of each other. So that left her as an orphan in her early 30s. So in many ways as well, Rebecca is one of the leaders of this new era of mourning. So it's been so exciting for us to get to chat with her. We learnt so much. And I think for me personally, and I know you feel the same, Im, what I really love um, about Rebecca's work is that it's so refreshing because she really isn't afraid to voice the humorous side of death, but she also just says it how it is. Yes, we had a good laugh with Rebecca. And we also learned the importance this one was a big one for me, of acknowledging death for what it is and how we should be more comfortable with using the term died when we're talking about the death of a loved one rather than using softer euphemisms like they lost you lost them or they passed away. And I still have to catch myself sometimes because it's just drilled in us that that's how we talk. We soften our, our language for people around us. And so that is something that Sally and I have been really conscious Mm. of since this episode is saying that somebody died and and trying to be okay with using that stronger word because that is the reality of what has happened. Our loved ones have died. Um, So that's been a big lesson for us, a big takeaway from this episode and something we threw out to our Instagram community as well to get their opinions on. And a lot of people felt the same way and, and preferred acknowledging death for what it is so Mm. that's been a huge one something that Rebecca just she's quite passionate about she's very passionate about it she was like they're dead (laughs) we haven't lost them they're not down the supermarket yeah they haven't gone for a wander my mum's dead they're dead so yeah it can be quite confronting and I think you know sometimes we soften our language for other people as well um so that it doesn't impact them or you know it's not like a shocking way to talk about it so without further ado let's jump to the conversation Welcome, Rebecca. Hey, Hi. Rebecca. 
Hi, it is so nice to be here today. Good morning. (laughs) Good evening to you. It's so nice to have you on. Rebecca, you are the co-founder of Modern Loss, which I think is arguably one of the sort of founding leaders in this sort of grief support space. Can you tell us a little bit about you, what you do, a bit about Modern Loss before we jump into your story? Sure. Modern Loss is, um, we are, you know, we started as a website seven years ago, um, which is like an online magazine, which publishes narrowly focused personal essays, you know, personal narratives um, stemming from all aspects of the grief experience. You know, our mission is to eradicate the stigma of talking about loss and grief in, you know, because it shouldn't be stigmatized. And yet it's still taboo, which is very interesting to me. Which is crazy, Um, given that it's something that we all go through. You know, no one's exempt from grief. It's something that everyone experiences. And we've all been experiencing it for, you know, centuries. But still, there's a taboo. I mean, that's the irony. I mean, I always say, like, you know, the news flashes that this is like the most universal besides birth (laughs) you know as far as I know nobody has cheated death in the history of mankind and so that means that nobody has really escaped the feeling of grief and it is one of the most universal experiences that we have it is the great equalizer it is an amazing opportunity for us to you know create ties and build bridges among each other, especially when you can't really see any other easy way to connect with somebody. And yet we still insist on, you know, being really uncomfortable around this conversation. You know, I personally had gotten really tired of what I was finding out there, which were a lot of websites and um, books and stuff like that, that were more kind of anchored within like chicken soup for the soul or, um, you know, platitudes that really don't help anyone or so outdated um, you know resources that were really yeah like outdated or just really clinical or religious I just wanted to feel not alone in the experience of loss and I also as important because I was 30 when I started going through some of my deepest loss in life um I really needed examples of resilience that weren't being like told to me like I you know people would put their hands on my shoulder and say, you know, it takes a year, you're going to be okay. And I'm like, all right, can you, can you tell me how, like, can you please show me how? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want examples. And so we have all these amazing stories of people who are talking about their struggle, but also like their post-traumatic growth mm. because of loss. And to me, that is as inspiring as being able to commiserate because it, it shows you that you can live a really rich life not just, you know, in spite of, but sometimes because of the hand that you have been dealt in life. And that is what we want to show people. Good things will happen eventually in your life, even in the wake of loss. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really important to remember because you have to be open to the possibility of of joy and richness and happiness. Um, That's so true. That it can come. We both feel like there are positives that have come from our losses. You just have to be open to it. And not everyone will feel positive after a loss. And it may take, you know, a while to maybe even figure out what those silver linings are. But absolutely, like joy can come after, you know, you think the world has ended. 
definitely there are positives that can yeah. come from it. And let it in too. When it comes, it's important to allow yourself to feel happiness again when it does eventually come because it will. <laughs> so can you tell us what happened and how you, I guess, came to be a member of the club that nobody wants to be a part of? I, yeah, I had just turned 30 and I was working as a TV producer at a show that um, I, it was a political satire show here in the United States, and they actually aired it in Australia. It was called The Colbert Report. Um, It was hosted by Stephen Colbert, who's a very famous comedian. That's a great show. Yeah, I mean, the best. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I had just graduated from uh, graduate school at the Columbia School of Journalism at Columbia University, and I was, you know, really just starting out on my journalism slash political satire career I was so excited I was working at this dream show I felt like I was really like starting to launch myself into adulthood and all of a sudden um I went on a camping trip with my parents uh the summer of 2006 it was late August and we came back from that trip in early September it's Labor Day which is a holiday in the United States and we drove back to my apartment in, in Manhattan. My parents dropped me off. We had a fully packed car from our camping trip. And I said, you know, a, a very quick goodbye to my parents. It was very late at night. And they got back into the car and kept driving down toward Philadelphia, which is my hometown. It's about two hours south of New York City. And about an hour or so after I was dropped off, I got a phone call that there had been a terrible accident on the New Jersey Turnpike, which is the main highway, and that my mother was not okay, and I really needed to get to a hospital as soon as possible. Unfortunately, learned that uh, my mother was killed in this terrible car accident, and my father was in the car with her and survived with very minor injuries. And so, you know, from one second to the next the like after part of my life began um and there will never be like that was it was cleaved in two it was like the before and the after I'm so sorry that you went through that Rebecca it's incredibly traumatic and there is a distinctive line isn't there where it really does feel like the before and the after and our life is now split in two after such a significant loss had you experienced death prior to this I had lost people, you know, my grandmother had died six months beforehand and she was my mom's best friend and one of my best friends. And I had, you know, lost some friends, but this was like, you know, my mother Mm -hmm. and she was my best friend and she was so vivacious and so loving and supportive and so hilarious. And she was like everyone's cheerleader. And also my dad was 20 years older than she was and I never in a million years thought that the person I would be burying first would be my mother um which went to show me that you have no idea what's going to happen so my mom was killed I was 30 and I had to go back to work in a daily tv show which was a comedy show <laughs> so sometimes that was like a saving grace but when my mom died, there was no bereavement policy. So everything was very nebulous and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I did not know to ha- how to advocate for myself because I didn't know what I needed. Mm-hmm. I had never been in that situation before. 
and there was no HR department. And so I was told, hey, take the time you need. Um, <laughs> but like, that doesn't mean anything, you know, like when you're young and 30 is young, like what, I mean, really, I was just really starting out in my career. Um, when you're young like that and you're told, take the time you need, and then you work at a place that's really high pressured, that doesn't help you, you know, like you're trying to figure out what you should be doing. And then I felt kind of pressured, like, oh, well, I should take the time I need, but like the funeral is over and I'm just sitting around. So does that mean I should go back to work? I feel like I should be there. Um, And so I went back, I think after about 10 days or so, um, because it took a while. I mean, like she, she died in an accident. So we had, there was a lot to do. We didn't have a funeral right away. I'm Jewish. And in the Jewish tradition, you're supposed to bury someone like as soon as possible, like the next day or two days later. And I waited a week because I was just in such utter shock. And I'm, I was my mother's only child. So I just like really needed to wrap my head around a lot of things. Um, But then I was like, well, I'm sitting around in my apartment and I'm worrying about my dad and I guess I'll just go to work. Um, But, you know, it got hard because I went back to work, but without any conversation about flexibility and what I might need as I got deeper and deeper and deeper into grief because I was in shock for, I mean, really, I would say like a calendar year because it was a very sudden accident, but for several months at least. And it, you know, I didn't know that grief would take on different forms. Like everybody was like, well, it takes a year. And I was like, awesome. Great. So can't wait for year two because this sucks. But um, as the months went by, you know, sometime I would be doing better and sometime I would be doing worse. And I realized that I needed more flexibility in my schedule. I needed to be able to go to somebody and say, you know, listen, I have to go to a grief counselor once a week. I know it's not convenient for this schedule that we have here but if you want me to be like a functional employee you've got to let me do this for myself um and it took a while for me to advocate for myself because no one was offering it to me and I think no one was offering it to me because a we're really crappy about talking about this stuff in the workplace and everywhere really um and b we were we just like didn't nobody on staff had ever really dealt with something like this before So there was no like policy. There was no nothing. I had to kind of be like the guinea pig. And in the years afterwards, so many people went through loss. So many of my colleagues and I, I was kind of like the template for, um, you know, for how to, you know, like how to help help somebody through it. Um, And so it was difficult. It was terrible, you know, and, but sometimes, you know, working in comedy was amazing. It saved my sanity, but other times I would just look around and I would just be so furious with people for just laughing, Mm -hmm. you know, like I really wanted to, I was like indignant. I wanted to know like how they could find anything funny. I wanted to know, like, I wanted to be like, you know, my mom is dead, right? Like, how can you actually be happy at all right now and you know it's just grief is a monster and it's full of sneak attacks that will take you by surprise at any hour of the day and I you know it took me a while to realize that that was just the thing of grief um and once I did I don't want to say it got easier but I wasn't as shocked by it like I anticipated that more things that would surprise me would keep happening. 
And that's the thing, it does pop up and surprise you at any moment. Um, and you just don't know when that might be sometimes. But um, right. we're, we're so sorry that happened to you. That must have been such an, a deep, deep shock to lose your mum in that way. Did you, how did your dad cope and how did that relationship evolve? It's true that your relationship changes. And, you know, my dad and I really, my mom was kind of like, the, like she got along with everybody. I don't even know how she did it. I don't know how she did it. She got along with everyone and she was no pushover. She just had that personality where like she could just somehow see something good in everybody. And because of that, they saw the good in her. And, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty good person, <laughs> but she had the knack, you know, and she was the buffer between me and my dad. And my dad and I were very stubborn people. We would butt heads all the time, really loved each other. He was very witty, very funny, very creative, but like we would butt heads and she was our buffer. And so when she died, I lost my buffer. I lost, you know, my cheerleader. I lost the soft one. And that was so hard for me because, you know, my dad and I just had to figure out a new language that we had, could use with each other. Like we literally had to develop a new relationship because it, our entire relationship was built, you know, with a dynamic that included my mom. And um, it was really hard because, you know, first and foremost, because my dad was in the car with my mom when she was killed. And so that added a layer of trauma that, you know, like he had trouble talking about it. He was a real survivor, um, but could not really go into detail. Like he, he told me he was scared to talk too much about it. He felt like if he went too far, you know, in conversation that he might not come back. And he was just desperately trying to kind of survive. And, um, but that meant that like, I felt very lonely in my grief in some ways because I don't have any siblings. And I felt like there were, I couldn't really talk to him about a lot of the things I wanted to talk to him about. You didn't want to put it on mom. him because he's going through enough. I didn't want to put it on him. Right. Yeah, I didn't want to put it on him because I felt like he was so focused on keeping his head above water and he wasn't falling apart in front of me or anything. But inside, I know that he was like, doing what men do, which is like shut down so that they don't feel too much. And he was just doing that. And so I didn't want to like rock that boat. But the problem was, is that then I didn't take care of myself. And it was very hard. Um, I was so focused on him and him being okay. And I would go back to Philadelphia every weekend, which was exhausting for me, because my work schedule was already exhausting. And I just wasn't taking care of myself at all. Um, and so I really ran myself into the ground um, over the course of the first several months of my loss. And it was just very, very exhausting and draining. And, um, you know, my dad, I would love to say that he was an amazing support to me, um, but he wasn't. He couldn't do it. And he, you know, he started seeing somebody a few months later you know, he was older, you know, and I also, like men, I don't think men are very good at being alone. Um, and I know that it was for companionship. And, you know, in theory, I was like, I recognized that having somebody to worry about my dad was not necessarily a bad thing. That you know, would have somebody been hard though, you know, we've, we've often wondered about this topic and we've wanted to touch on this with our guests is how do you cope with that, with, with the parent moving on and, you know, dealing with your grief and it's, yeah, I can imagine it'd be quite a tricky situation to navigate. 
It was very tricky. It was very tricky because, um, you know, I was still in the very early stages of my own grief. And as I said, I hadn't really even been taking care of myself that much. So I didn't really start like a self-care grief regimen for many months uh, after my mom died. Um, And so by that point, my dad was seeing someone and, and it was hard because I needed to start putting myself first. But he wanted me to like be a part of like this new dynamic he had and yada yada. And I was like, you know, I think I just like need to see a therapist and I need to like see my friends and I need to travel and I need to like feed my soul and and do whatever it's telling me that I need. (laughs) Because um, me spending time with like someone you're seeing when my mom has, I'm starting to only start processing, you know, my mother's death is not, it's not good for me. Um, and it was hard. Like I, I can't lie. Um, it was very difficult. Um, but you know, it's part of grief. Like it's part of loss. Everybody, you know, it just showed me that you can lose the same person. Like two people can be so close and lose the same person and still deal with it in totally different ways. Um, grief is a very individualized experience and it really made me respect that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, was it easy? No. And I say that to help anybody who's listening, who is telling themselves that maybe it should be easy. Nope. Not easy. No, there's nothing wrong with you. This, this shit is hard. It really is. And heartbreakingly, your dad also died suddenly only four years after the loss of your mom. Can you talk us through what happened? Sure. Um, yeah. So after all of that, with my father needing to grieve the loss of, of the, you know, the love of his life, um, my parents were together for, for 35 years. They were, you wow. know, completely in love. Yeah. They were, they were soulmates. And, um, <clears throat> Four years after my mom died, my father went on a trip and had a heart attack while he was traveling and did not survive. So between the ages of 30 and 34, both of my parents died. And, you know, definitely was not my life plan. Definitely not. Um, It was extremely hard. Um, I was like, here we go again. And for those previous four years, in between the time when my mom died and my dad died, I slept with my phone next to my head every night, like for four years, because I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I think that's very normal. You know, you lose somebody and you're like, what's happening next? And I was just waiting for that call about my dad. Um, And finally, I got, I mean, my husband actually got it. um, And was the one who told me. And um, that was the first night in four years that I put my phone in the other room when I went to bed. And I remember thinking, well, there's no one left to call me about. It's heartbreaking. I'm Um, so sorry that you went through that. Yeah, it was bad, you know, it was bad. Um, And it was existential that time because that time you're like, oh, oh, like I don't have parents who are living now. And I, I had just gotten married when my husband, when, when my father died, and, but I didn't have kids. And so it felt very weird, like feeling like the feeling of being like untethered from like any foundation. Like you just like, I was, I, I, I felt like I, I wasn't coming from anyone anymore <laughs> who was around. Like I lost all the witnesses to my life and. And I had nobody after me. Like I didn't have kids. Um, 
it just felt like I was like, here I am, like hanging out in the universe alone. Yeah. Um, I didn't have siblings who I could like remember. I, you know, I couldn't be like, remember when mom did this? And so it just felt very foreign. And I would say like, you know, there wasn't a trauma that time. You know, it was more of this existential uh you know, angst that I had, which was, yes, like you think orphan and you think of a kid, but when you're 34 and you lose both parents, you know, that's still pretty young. And it's, it's just, I think any age is, is, is hard. You know, my mom's mother died when she was 89 and my mom was 63 at the time. And I remember her telling me, you know, a mom is a mom is a mom. And like, you know, she's like, I know that your grandma was 89, but like, I feel her like I, I loved her so much. And she was so a part of my heart. And I just miss her so much. What else was I going to do? I, I moved, I started to move through it. Sometimes it was three steps forward, 100 steps back. Sometimes it was two steps forward, and then two steps forward again the next day. And that's what you've got to do. Because I think that in grief, eventually you're faced with the question of like, am I going to make this choice to stay here and to like choose to live my life? And if you make that choice, you really owe it to yourself to live, you know, as richly as you can or as you desire. And that's what I really tried to do. Not just because my parents really would have wanted that for me, like 1 million percent. And I know that not everybody loses people who they loved deeply. I, there are so many complicated relationships out there. There there are so many complex dynamics out there. I happened to be very lucky that both of my parents um, and I had great relationships. They were not, you know, cut and dry and, you know, not without strife, but I had very loving relationships with them and I know that they loved me um, and I know they would have wanted me to live very well. So like I, that reminder of like, they would be mad at me if I weren't trying my best. Um, that was easy for me to remind myself of, but also like, I really did want to do, I was like, you know, what am I going to, I'm, t- I'm going to take this experience. Like, what am I going to do with it? You know, like, how am I going to, use this as my reminder to like carpe diem. Mm. Um, yeah. And it really propelled me to do a lot of things that maybe ordinarily I wouldn't have done. We can totally relate to you with those feelings. Really and I think there's something about losing a parent or in your case, both parents in our early thirties. It is a time where we're kind of just come into our adulthood. I know technically we're adults when we're in our twenties, but like you said, you know, you're coming into a great career and you've sort of found yourself and you're on a great path. And I feel like I was in the exact same point as you. And I know Sal mm-hmm. has as well, where we both felt like life is good. We've got a handle on things like this is cool. We can do this. And then finally getting into the groove of things, things yeah. are, you know, steadying out. But Yeah. And then suddenly out of nowhere, it just our whole world just cracks open. And it's like you do have to make that conscious decision what am I going to do with this? You How know? am I going to handle this? Yes. How is it going to shape me? Yeah. And, and you know, am I going to survive it? And mm-hmm. you, you do, you wake up every day and you've got to think of the things that you're grateful for and think of the things that, you know, that your parents would want for you and to keep moving forward and, and live a life, you know, as best as we can, even though we've been dealt these really shitty cards. 
yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of just like, what are you going to do? Like, what's the, you know, I would give anything to have them back, but it, you know, um, it kind of is what it is. And I spent a long time playing the game of like, if only, like, if only my mom hadn't gotten to that car, if only this, if only that, but that's just really, a, it's like a losing game. Cause there's really no, win. you just can't win it. Like they're dead. <laughs> there's no bringing them back. Um, and so I just was like, you know, <laughs> I, I finally got to the point of, of like accepting it. And once I accepted it, that's when I was like, okay, like what am I going to do with this now? Um, and it wasn't easy and it still isn't. Um, my losses have really carved very deep grooves through my existence and have informed my choices on everything from, you know, like romantic partners, to career choices, to, you know, where I live, to the people I spend time with, to, you know, just like so many different things. It's really impacted every single part of my being, mm-hmm. um, which is why modern loss is the way it is, because it, it's meant to show that grief touches every aspect of life from your sex life to the way you deal with finances, to the way you plan I mean, you know, it just does to your risk capacity. And the more that we are made aware of that and the fact that like grief isn't just like this first year period of time, it just becomes part of the fabric of your existence or loss does rather. Um, loss is the term I prefer more. Um, I think it just like you accept it more. And acceptance doesn't make it easy. It just means that you accept it. Like it's like a, it's part of you, but it doesn't define you. Acceptance doesn't make it okay. You know, you're not accepting that, oh, yeah, great, I'm, I'm kind of happy that this has happened. It's just the only way that we can move forward, mm-hmm. I think, is by accepting eventually. Rebecca, how, how long after losing your father did, did kind of modern loss come to be? And how did you meet each other and how did sort of that relationship start with Gabrielle? It was November of 2013, and Gabby and I had met, um, well, actually, just a couple months after my mom died. So we had known each other for years by then. And we were introduced by a mutual friend who invited over a few women to dinner who had all lost a parent and said, you know, hey, why don't we just, like, get together and, and talk? And it was a big, you know, it was a huge breath of fresh air for me, Um I really just like kind of exhaled. It felt very nice. It felt very weird at first, but then it felt like really nice realizing that I was around other people who kind of got it. I love that. What was it called? I, I saw on your website it was called Women oh, Without Parents. We called ourselves, yeah, I, I named ourselves. It was um, WWDP, Women With Dead Parents. Yeah, so, I love that. Kind of like kind of an edgy name because you're not used to back, back then like you didn't use the word dead that much like you said passed mm. away passed on it's like no they're dead like they died you know like I'm not gonna waste time saying it you know trying to figure out a different way to say it sometimes um, I definitely feel like that too I'm like oh you, when you lost someone I was like but you didn't lose them you know right, you right, want to like, just say they're dead they but then you don't want to say dead right. because it's such a you know hard-hitting word but I think right. it, it, yeah it's it is very something punchy that, yeah something that needs we to change say dead. yeah we, we say dead on modern loss all the time we're like they died they died and in fact when people <laughs> do submit pieces um and they say they passed on or they passed away Every time if I'm editing the piece, 
I say, no, like, um, yeah. I, I, I edit it. I say, you, she died. I mean, because it's like, we don't do, we don't need euphemisms. We don't need platitudes. Like, so let's just call it what it is because that's like every story on modern loss is being told because of a death. And yeah. so that's just like a teeny tiny descriptor. Yeah. Um, let's not creep around it. Oh my God. We're going to do this now, Sal. Let's start saying dead. <laughs> we need to start saying it more. We do. They didn't pass on. They died. We're doing it. Okay. <laughs> it sounds better in that Australian accent. You know, just like on. Just like you died. A dead mate. Um, <laughs> a dead mate. <laughs> I'm going to try it. Good day. My mum died. Yes. That's a keychain. That's a keychain there. Um, no, it's like, you know, and so it was very, very um, refreshing to be able to have conversations that, you know, were ta- I knew they were taking place against the backdrop of, um, you know, loss. And grief. Like I knew that when we're talking about dating, that Gabby's father and stepmother were killed. I knew that. So I didn't, you know, I knew that when she was talking about the date that she had, that it was affecting her in certain ways because of what she went through. And she didn't have to explain it to me. And when I was talking about like, you know, whatever was going on at work, I didn't have to like explain why it was so hard because my mom was dead and it was just so nice it was like really refreshing to not have to explain yourself and so I was like I want more of this and so um in 2013 we launched Modern Moss which you know we we launched it with a few dozen uh personal essays written by people who we had assigned pieces to and a couple of like practical pieces like how to's, you know, how to write a sympathy card or how to like go through someone's belongings without losing your mind. And, you know, everything we do is done with like, it's grain, you know, like, you know, like with tongue in cheek, we use a lot of humor on modern loss because it's really not just about those first, you know, 12 months. It's about the whole experience of long arc of loss. And so, you know, we have no problem using humor whenever it fits into a story because, you know, life is messy and death is messy. So grief is messy. And within all the mess, you're going to find some ludicrous aspects. And if you can't laugh about it, I mean, if you cannot laugh about the fact that, you know, at someone's funeral, a gust of wind blew someone's uh, kippah, which is like the Jewish head covering up into the air. And then circled it around, and then it fell down onto the coffin, and everybody stared at it. And if you can't laugh at the fact that somebody looked down at the coffin and said, damn, that was real leather, if you can't laugh at that. That's amazing. You You have to be able to laugh. Well, what are you going to do? Like, rend your clothes? You just have to do laughter sometimes. You have to. It humanizes you. It reminds you that you're human. It reminds you of yourself. You know, it brings you back. You can't just be in that dark, 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 dark moment all the time. It's just not like humanly possible to feel like you're resilient like that. I love that you're putting the humorous spin on death as well. See, I said it, death. Um, and I was reading a post on your Instagram, which is fantastic, by the way. Your community really there is. is amazing that you've built. And yeah, thank um, you. 
it was a post about scattering the ashes and, you know, what to expect when you're scattering the ashes. And I was like, this is actually so informative. And Sal and I, in our first episode, we delve into a bit about Sal's experience of scattering her mum's ashes. But yeah, people don't know. And I didn't realise. So when I, so my mum passed away in the UK, so I had to fly over there and deal with her estate and and sort out the funeral. But then I wanted to bring her ashes back to Australia and I actually had to fly them back but I had to take them through customs I had to have a passport I had to have a driver's oh license God. and I had to have like a letter from the funeral director so I'm like going through customs with this little like urn and the mum I had to take her passport were you like, does it look like her? Like, yeah, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is my mum. This is her passport. It was so bizarre. Oh, my God. The stuff that they just that don't tell so you. Bizarre. You have to pay for a seat for her, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh, can you imagine? But I remember sitting on that flight looking down and, like, she was in my handbag and I was like, this is so weird. And then when I went to scatter the ashes... um, they're like bath salts. They're like chalky. I don't know if... if yeah. Well, this yeah. is what it said in the post. I it was like, there's like bone fragments and yeah. it's chunky. And I'm like, what? That is not right. what I envisaged. And I yeah. haven't scattered yeah. my mum's ashes yet. So I'm glad to know this information. Yeah, I thought it was going to be easy and this romantic had this romantic vision of just you know them sort of you know going off in the wind you know off they fly. And it was like dropping chalk on the floor and it was really <laughs> obvious. And I was like... Yeah. Okay, this isn't romantic yeah. at all. And in your post, yeah. it's like, oh, remember to, you know, bring some water because you don't want to rub your yeah. dirty hands on your jeans if you're, right. you're you yeah. know, your dead loved one. I'm like, this is great information, but yeah. also. Yeah. I, I think that my favorite piece of advice in that piece was stand downwind. You don't want to like, you know, it's the ashes stick to your, stick to your face. And it's just like, you have to laugh at this stuff. Like you have to yeah. see the lighter side of it because like, and then when you do, you realize that like so many of us are going through it. And it really like when you're laughing, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one who's having this ridiculous experience. You know, like you said, it's chalky and you're like, oh, wait, I need to show my mom's passport. Like, that's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's legitimately hilarious. It and so you just like share that with somebody else. And chances are that's a good like conversation sparker, you know, like then they'll probably share their story with you and some ridiculous thing that happened to them. Um and then you'll really start like getting into it, getting into like a deeper conversation. And it really is just this like community builder. Um, if you approach it in the way, if you approach difficult topics with the right tone of like, you know, lightness without being like L-I-T-E light um, and some levity whenever possible, then you're gonna have a much better effect than if you're like bashing someone over the head with it or like basically telling them how serious it is. Like they're aware that grief sucks. Mm -hmm. They're aware that this is like a super shitty, tough, hard experience. They don't need reminders. Mm. So just like make them smile sometimes and make them laugh with like this knowing like, yeah, like that that happened to me. You know, like I get that. You know, like the more you do that for people, the more you draw them in. The relatability as well, you know, I think is really important. How do exactly. You, how do you think the role of social media in helping people navigate grief has evolved since you started Modern Loss? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think that social media has evolved a lot since Modern Loss started, which is seven years ago. Um, I think that um, 
you know, we've played, I, I do believe actually that we've played a large role in that. Um, because we have been active in the space for, for that long. We've been on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We just, you know, we sorry, we have a YouTube channel now. We are venturing onto TikTok, which is a phrase that oh I my can't God. believe I'm saying. <laughs> I guess I know um, dances. I just cannot. Like, I'm not. Like, I have to learn how to, like, you know, yeah. like, I, I didn't even know, like, boss or whatever. Um, and it's, it's just been, I think, like, that social media in general will be the downfall of humanity. Um, like, I really do mean that, <laughs> especially if you look at the headlines, what's mm-hmm. going on here in the United States with everything. Um, but when it comes to the conversation about grief and loss in community, I think it's been an incredible way for people to find, be a part of, get support from a community from anywhere in the world of both like-minded people and people with different viewpoints and people with different experiences and with different pieces of advice and feel like they're in a community, even if they don't ever say anything, you know, like if you're in modern loss has this closed Facebook group and it's so phenomenal because people are giving each other this amazing peer to peer advice and support and like just offering like a, Hey, like I'll scream into the, so like I'll do a primal scream into the abyss with you. Like, great, we're here for that. Um, and it's amazing to see that kind of support. It really is. Uh, and so social media really does provide people with an opportunity to like tell their own story. Um, it allows people to kind of demand that the people following them bear witness to their loss, to their grief, to their memories to whatever extent they feel comfortable sharing them. They could write essays about how like incredibly tough times they're having. Um, I don't tend to, it's not like my MO, but like sometimes, you know, it was my the 10th anniversary of my dad's death in December. And it really hit me a lot harder than I thought it would. I was pretty sad that day. I was really having a tough day. I mean, I'm, you know what, like 10 months into a pandemic. <laughs> it's been tough. And um I put a picture of him on Facebook with some memory and like, it felt so nice to like do that and put him out there and remind people that he existed and have people like share anecdotes or just like, remember that I 10 years later still am living with loss, you know, like, Hey, just reminding you. Um, and it's nice because you're really forcing people to bear witness. And yeah, I put in a very light, I put a picture up, that's it. And a little caption. And it was nice for me. I needed that. Um, I think it's it's a really good way for people to like post reminders that they do need support. Um, when it comes to like providing support, I think that we always say at Modern Loss that social media is it's a great it's a great tool, it's a great additive to life, but it's not real life. And so, sure, like you know, like someone's post or like PM them or send them a text. But that is not the same as putting in a calendar, you know, a reminder of when their person died every year or the person's birthday or whatever, or like Mother's Day. And just putting a little bit of forethought into the fact that, you know, this person is going to be living with loss for the rest of their lives. And even after the initial support goes away, they're still going to need people to remember and to look out for them. And it doesn't have to be that hard to do. It just has to sometimes be, hey, I'm thinking about you. Like, hey, like, do you want to get a... I mean, like, I don't know. Are we ever allowed to go and get a beer with someone? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, hey, want to go get a beer? 
you want to see a movie? Like, these are all things that sound like luxuries now. But, you know, it's just like um, a reminder of all of that. Um, we say that we want social media to be a reminder and a catalyst for more, like, deeper ways to support somebody. So important. It takes two minutes to make a note of someone's anniversary of their death or, you know, it takes two minutes to note their loved one's birthday, but it can make all the difference to someone who's grieving. So, Rebecca, um, second to last question from us. Um, tell us about your upcoming book. My first book is called Modern Loss, Candid Conversation About Grief Beginners. Welcome. And the neat thing about that is that just today, the Mandarin copy arrived. Oh, cool. It was just translated. How cool is that? Congrats. How cool is that? I'm like showing you guys cover. Isn't that so fun? I mean, it's just a kick. Yeah, I love the cover. And so it's, um, I'm very um, moved by it. And um, I'm really proud of that first book. Um, Currently, I'm working on a new book, which is called The Modern Lost Handbook. Um, it's a guide to moving, it's like an interactive guide to moving through grief and building up resilience. Um, and so our first book was all prose. It was a collection of essays, um, written by a lot of different people, including me and Gabby about all these different grief experiences. Like the chapters were like identity and intimacy and absence plus time and, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think like journeys. So uh, this book is going to be more interactive. It's going to be kind of like the grief journal that you always wanted, I think, hopefully, um, but also full of helpful information. So, you know, I think that sometimes you don't really know what to get for yourself uh, after you lose somebody and, or at any point in time, like I could probably use a book like this now, <laughs> even years and years into my loss, because it's going to be full of different prompts that kind of help you to uh, figure out the best ways for you to stay connected to your person, but also stay connected to the world around you. Sounds amazing. And in different ways. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And I'm writing it very slowly during COVID <laughs> times. I sold it in June. Um, and it's just a crazy, you know, time to be doing all of this because mm-hmm. we're in such a moment of collective and societal global grief. Um, it feels very weird to be writing a book that will have some humor in it, but because everything feels dark and heavy now, yeah. but you, know, you just remember that you're still human and like, look, we're still laughing. I mean, look at all the politics we're talking about now and we're still laughing about some politics because it's ludicrous. Yeah. So I remind myself that humor will always be necessary because it is is humanizing. Rebecca, last question for you. What is um, one bit of advice that you think would be most helpful for somebody in the early stages of grieving? Go micro when you need to. And for me, that means like, I think it's easy to get very overwhelmed by the enormity of loss because that's forever like you're never going to see that person again and when you are dealing with grief and especially those early days you start asking yourself like oh my god how am I going to get through like how what is my life going to look like like how am I going to like live where am I going to live how am I going to do any of these things and you have to pull yourself back to the moment and remind yourself that you don't have to have the answer to any of these questions yet Mm. And some of them may not become obvious until right before you have to make decisions. 
that in those early days of navigating loss, sometimes the most important thing is to just remind yourself that you just have to get through the next minute, hour, day, week, month. That's it. Mm, You have to bring yourself back to that moment because when it feels so overwhelming, it's very easy to snowball. It's very easy to get very anxious. Um, And then you get really anxious because you're like, oh my God, like losses forever. They're never going to be at Christmas and they're never going to be at any of my birthdays. Yes, it's all true and it's awful. But thinking about that is just, it sucks. It's not helpful. And so as much as you can humanly possibly take control over that and like stop yourself and bring yourself back a moment and say, okay, but I'm here right now. What can I do right now to like calm down or be productive or do something kind for myself? Like that sometimes will be your saving grace. Mm -hmm. And so my mantra, whenever I get overwhelmed is go micro because that's the only way to go. I'm somebody who gets overwhelmed a lot. Um, And I'm still like functional through it, but I get so anxious. Oh so my god, just, me too. Me too. Oh, big balls of anxiety over here. And it can worry. be like paralyzing, can't it? Like I get very um sort of like wound up in my anxiety and then it almost like disables me from taking that step forward. So I think go micro is a great mantra to have. That adv- that advice is kind of what helped me survive the early months of my mum's death. And one foot yeah, in front I of the just other. couldn't I couldn't look into the future. It was just mm. way too overwhelming and the thought of it was just, yeah, so destabilizing. So it's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a great question. Rebecca, it has been such a pleasure to speak to you um, from across the pond. Across the world. (laughs) Yeah, across the world. (laughs) (laughs) We've loved chatting with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you're doing this project. Um, You know, anybody who wants to, access more of what we do at Modern Loss. Um, You know, we have our website, which has all of our pieces, modernloss.com. We're on all social media. And we do have a pretty large leadership in Australia. And I I welcome and invite anybody to to become a part of our Modern Loss community. Thank you so much. And um, I hope you have a wonderful morning. Tell me, it's an evening here. Am I going to have a good night's sleep? (laughs) <laughs> you are you're gonna sleep so okay, sound good. <laughs> like yeah, a baby because i'm talking to the future right now you are so, um, have a, great day. <laughs> Rebecca, have a wonderful you. day thank have you have a great day thanks bye. rebecca so bye nice you, you too bye. bye see ya how incredible is rebecca i feel like i have learned so much from this chat she's amazing so I love, open. So open. I love how she just says it how it is. Yeah. Um, and she shared some really great insights into into grief. And I'm so I'm going to be so conscious of the terminology I use around death now. So it's been a very educational chat, and I hope you guys have taken a lot away from it as well. Absolutely. And we will link to um, Modern Loss in the show notes along with the book um, and other resources that we've discussed in today's episode that you guys might find useful. If you have enjoyed listening to Good Morning, if you could leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing as it helps the podcast get seen by other people. And if you know anyone who might benefit from listening to this podcast, please do spread the word about Good Morning. 